Turn with me. We're going to finish Luke chapter 12 this morning. Ten verses. Uh, we have verses 49 to 59 to finish this morning. And we'll move next week into Luke 13. We've been in Luke chapter 12 a while. We had things like Resurrection Day. We had uh, Palm Sunday before that. I was out of town. Uh, so finally finishing this 12th chapter. It's a long chapter, rich chapter, maybe one that you want to go back and reread if you're with us in our Friday night fellowships, which were a real blessing. Uh, we went back over a, a few things. But let's start with verse 49, if your Bibles are open. If you don't have a Bible, simply raise your hand, and an usher will be glad to put one in your hand. Luke chapter 12, verse 49. Jesus speaking, your Bibles, you'll probably see red letters if you have a red letter edition. I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against mother and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Then he said also to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming, and so it is. When you see the south wind blow, you say, there will be hot weather, and there it is. Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, and how is it you do not discern this time? Yes, and why, even you yourselves, do you not judge what is right? When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge, the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there until you have paid the very last might. And Lord, we just ask for your spirit now, your presence, your illumination. Lord, that which you want us to know, that which you want us to hear, that you want us to apply, Lord, we will... Uh, see those things take place in our life by having humble and surrendered hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys remember Robert Frost from high school? I'm sure you enjoyed iambic pentameter and all those kind of poems, and you were thoroughly confused like I was. But every now and then you'd hear one that made sense to you. Remember that he said these words, two roads diverge in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Jesus is certainly the road less traveled, isn't he? And he does make all the difference. Uh, Robert Frost was confused in his theology over a lifetime, so I won't take this as, you should say, well, that was, wow, that was a really deep spiritual thing. No, but it's still true. The road less traveled is really the way we must go. Amen? And Jesus is saying here that it's not going to be an easy road to the believer. And it may not even, to the unbeliever, make sense. And it won't make sense unless we first humble ourselves and believe what God says. See, Jesus is not only the road less traveled, but he's the only road you can travel to the Father. 
He's the only way to the Father. He's the only way to forgiveness. He's the only way of peace. He's the only protection from the wrath to come. He's the only one that can heal people that are hurting. All of these things, Jesus is the only way. If you're taking notes this morning from our text, I've titled our time in the Word this morning, Only One Wise Option. Only one wise option. We'll look at four things this morning from the text. Number one, we'll look at loving determination. Jesus had a loving determination that thank the Lord he had it because our life depended on it. Number two, constant division. This road less traveled won't be easy, and we will have opposition. Amen? And we're going to get into even households will have strife because of the gospel. Number three, worldly discernment. There's a discernment that God would desire us to have, but then there's the discernment that the world has, and it's not a good discernment. And Jesus identifies that the natural discernment is very problematic. And then fourth, critical decision. Everyone has a critical decision to make. Once we've heard the truth of God, what will we then do with it? And Jesus lays that out as well. But let's start here with this loving determination where Jesus says, I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to be baptized with and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Some heavy words. Jesus, back in... Um, in his early life, uh, he certainly knew where he was headed. Remember, even at the age of 12 when he got lost, well, he didn't get lost, but the family didn't know where he was. Uh, he was there in Jerusalem, went up at Passover. He knew even then that he would someday come back to Jerusalem and he would die on a Roman cross there. He knew that he would lay out his life for humanity. And he had his eyes fixed upon that. He continually knew that he had to go and suffer. And he says in Matthew 16, 21, it says from that time, uh, or Matthew writes, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. Jesus' whole life, his whole mission was that he knew that he would be baptized with suffering, baptized with the crucifixion, baptized with death, baptized with the brutality of the cross, but that he would conquer that. But he also knew that after he died, and we were talking about this in our Friday night uh, home Bible fellowships, that when Jesus died, we can't ever have the death without the resurrection. We can't have the resurrection without the death, right? We need both. But when he would rise from the dead, he would pour out the power of the Holy Spirit. And he also said, or, or uh, it's written of him, uh, John the Baptist said this in Matthew 3.11, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. But that wouldn't happen until when? Until he had risen from the dead, and then we would count 50 days to Pentecost. We're coming up. Uh, matter of fact, those are our Messianic Jewish brothers and sisters. Many of them are counting the days to Pentecost right now because from the resurrection to Pentecost, you count off those days. And at Pentecost, what happened? Well, the Holy Spirit poured out, and it came down like rushing wind, and clothes of fire were upon the believer's head. And how Jesus wanted to kindle the fire 
of the Holy Spirit poured out upon the church. And we were singing those songs. Two of them we, in fact, sung about we want, we want to just burn with fire for the Lord. And also, the Holy Spirit would do what to the church? A purifying work. It would burn away the dross of self-centeredness, of envy, of strife of complaining, of all the things that are the natural tendencies of our flesh, individually the Holy Spirit would constantly knock on our hearts and say, that must go, that has to go, that has to go, and replace it with joy, which is great. But these things that the Holy Spirit would do, and Jesus said, I'm going to kindle the fire of the Holy Spirit in the church. And not only that, but it would have a purifying work of sending the gospel out. And when the gospel comes in, It burns away. When someone really gets saved, think about a fire that burns away anything but a precious metal. Silver would still remain. Gold would still remain. But all the impurities would burn away. And the Lord says the Holy Spirit would then come into our hearts. And with salvation, we receive the forgiveness of sin. And the Holy Spirit would just burn away the guilt and the shame and the rebellion that's naturally in us. Amen? All of those things. Pastor Greg Laurie, you guys know who Greg is, right? Harvest Christian Fellowship out there. He said just this week, or he said last week. Last week he said some Christians are setting the world on fire while others are still looking for the match. How about us? Are we taking the gospel with us? We have the fire of the Holy Spirit. Are we taking that fire of the Holy Spirit? Are we spreading it? And boy, when it spreads, the gospel spreads like a wildfire. But there's another fire that Christ will someday kindle. And given the context, I don't think it can be ignored either. Remember when the Scripture speaks, the principle of duality, that it can mean multiple things at simultaneously the same moment. Can it mean the power of the Holy Spirit? Yes. The fire of the gospel? Yes. But don't forget, there's also the fire of judgment. And looking at the context, look at your Bibles. Remember, the context of anything is imperative uh, to understand what is the totality of what the Lord is saying. Look at verse, uh, for example, verse 40. Verse 40 says, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. What's that talking about? It's only a few verses up. Well, Jesus is in their presence, so he's talking about that time what? His second coming. When he comes the second time, it's to do two things. It's to receive the body of Christ, but also to what? Judge the world in righteousness. He goes on in verse 46. He said, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him, and an hour when he's not aware, he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with unbelievers. Where will unbelievers spend? The lake of fire. So in the context of Jesus speaking, remember, there is no division in this. He's just sharing the entire message. Luke writes it down. We're picking up with verse 49, but don't forget, because it's been a few weeks, we were in verses 35 through 48. And in those verses, Jesus makes clear he's referring to the end times about his second coming and the judgment to come when he comes. And if people have not repented, there will be a judgment appointed for the unbelievers but a reward, a great reward for those who have chosen Christ. Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, 7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire 
until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. Part of the gospel's power is that the knowledge of the judgment to come turns men to the Lord. Right? Jonathan Edwards preached, sinners in the hand of an angry God, many people came to the Lord because they knew that the fires of hell were real. And that the Lord not only will kindle the power of the Holy Spirit upon the church, not only will he kindle the purification work in our hearts, but if we resist, there will be a fire kindled that the Lord will someday reserve for Satan, for the demonic realm, but also those that resist the Lord and forsake the gospel. In Jude 1, 23 remember these verses. It's good to remember verses you haven't read in a while because they're still there. Jude chapter 1, verses 22 to 23. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fire, pulling them out of the fire, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. You know, if I was in Nepal, where these people, I probably would not come to a little child who is laying there with a broken arm and, and, and pick him up and say, are you ready to go to hell? I'd, I'd, I'd use compassion and gentleness and try and feed the family and somewhere along the way say, can I tell you about Jesus? But when you have someone who is using Jesus' name as a swear word and they're cursing and they're yelling and they're saying, and you might turn to them and say, you know what? Someday you're going to meet him. And I hope that you turn to him before it's too late. Because he would offer compassion, but someday he would offer you judgment. And there may be a time where God has you use those kind of words. Well, I've never done. Well, I have. There's times where the Lord will have you speak in those ways. And you know what? Some people get pricked in the heart and get saved from those kind of moments. And the Lord is saying through Jude that you have to make a distinction. But that's a work of the Holy Spirit. You'll know when to say what you should say and how you should say it. Now, Jesus knew he'd pour out his Holy Spirit. He knew he'd send the gospel that would spread like a wildfire and that would encompass the earth because he would send the disciples, and there's no way they could have accomplished what they could accomplish without the fire of the Holy Spirit igniting the gospel. But he also knew he'd someday judge his enemies with fire. And then, after he judges his enemies, what will he do at the end of the age? He will sit down forever with his sons and daughters. Now, we have to remember the Lord takes no pleasure in the death of those who reject him. If you're here Wednesday night, we were in Ezekiel chapter 18. And it's Ezekiel 18.32 that says, For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord. Therefore turn and live. The Lord does not desire to kindle the earth with fire, and yet he someday will. He wants all men to repent. He's not willing that any should perish. You know, let me give you an analogy. When Ford and GM or Honda or any other car maker, when they make a car, do you know that they realize that someday somebody will die in one of those cars? They know that when they make thousands of cars rolling off the assembly line, invariably somebody will die in one of those cars. They know that. They have actuaries and all kinds of statisticians, and they know that the odds are it's going to happen, regardless of car maker, especially if you make a lot. And there'll be people that will be really severely injured. There'll be some people that will be paralyzed in automobiles. There'll be these fatalities. Uh, annually, this is going to happen. But do you think they want people to die or get hurt in cars? No. They don't want anyone to die or get hurt in a car. 
They're still going to manufacture cars. They don't want anyone hurting them. And they, they go through great lengths to have airbags and seat belts and public service announcements and everything else. They don't want anyone to die in the cars, and yet they know some will. Hence, all these safety equipment rec, rec, uh, regulations. Also, they know the cars will actually benefit a lot of people. People will get to work because of that car. People will get to the hospital and lives will be saved because of the same cars. Isn't that interesting? Somebody will drive someone that had to get a blood transfusion and will get there just in time because of that car. You see, it's possible to know that there will be both life and death coming from the very same thing. Maybe this is a poor analogy. Maybe you think it's a poor analogy. But it's really hard to grasp the realm of a sovereign God, isn't it? That's my point. You can't get in the mind of God. He knows that he's not willing any should perish, and yet he knows some will. He knows he wants to kindle the fire of the Holy Spirit, but he also knows he wants to defeat his enemies, and he already has. He's already made a public spectacle of them. And someday he'll kindle that fire to destroy his enemies once and for all. But it might help us at some level to understand, to know that we can know that both good and bad can come, and yet we would still desire, and as human beings, we would still desire that no bad would come, though we know some bad will come. And Jesus knows that no, though all won't come to him, he still desires that all would come to him. Does that make sense? Jesus came desiring to save all, but knowing he'd save some. Desiring to save all, but knowing he'd save some. Everyone has the opportunity to be part of the some. Isn't that great? Everyone. Everyone has the opportunity to be part of the some. Though Christ knows, some will reject him. And yet it's his determination, it's his desire that he would so much want to see people saved, want to see repentance, that he would, and people, you could never get mad at Christ because he's the one who's saying here, I'm willing to go through a baptism of death that you would live. That's not the executives of General Motor and Ford doing this, by the way. They're willing to build you a nice car. They know that there's odds either way, but they're not willing to die for you. Jesus is saying, I'm not only desiring that you be saved, but I'm going to die in your place. And how he is distressed, it says, until that time would come. Remember how yeah, before the cross, he sweat as it were what? Great drops of blood. And even said, Father, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me. But he knew it couldn't pass from him because that's the whole reason he came was to save all if all would be willing. his determination that he would obey the Father, and it drove him forward to the cross. We have to remember, what drives us forward? What is it that drives us forward in life? What are the things that really say, I will not be moved, as Paul said? Jesus, it was the cross. He couldn't be moved from that position. He would go that we would live. Hebrews 12, 2. Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And here it is then. But he sat down at the right hand of God. Amen? 
He destroyed the works of Satan. He destroyed the death and sin. We talked about this on Friday as well. We don't have to, be, we don't have to endure the punishment and sin and death because he endured it for us. And as I think of this text, it's so sad that everyone has the same option, and yet they point the finger at God as if he's at fault. And he's like, I sent my son. He shed his blood. Now, for us as believers, we've believed on Christ. We've believed on the name of Jesus. We've believed on the blood of Jesus. But Jesus reminds us that it's not smooth sailing after that. It's not smooth sailing until we get where? Heaven. No smooth sailing until we get to heaven. He says in verse uh, 51, Do you suppose that I came to give peace? Now, remember the context. Jesus did come to give personal peace because we know that in the same chapter, he tells us not to have worry, not to have anxiety. Same chapter 12. Remember a few weeks back? Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Anyone ever have any of those thoughts? I taught on that last week. We all do. He was not talking about personal peace. He was saying, remember when he was born, the angel said, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Do you know that they were speaking of the future, the end state of his rule and reign? Because they knew he would still die on the cross. And until Jesus sets up his rule and reign, we're still going to have terrorism, we're still going to have cancer, we're still going to have murder, we're still going to have anger, we're still going to have hatred. All of the things that you see that trouble you and me, those will remain because peace on earth won't come until he sets up his throne in Jerusalem. He says, don't suppose that I came to bring peace on earth. I tell you, not at all, but rather division. Doesn't mean that Jesus is desiring that there would be division. But the reality is, there will be division. When you and I, under this constant uh, division, if you're taking notes, when you and I come to Christ, there will be a new division between us and the world. The world will love you as its own as long as you are of the world. Remember when you first got saved? You remember how thrilled all your family and friends were? Remember how excited they were for you? They sent you to dinner. They gave you gifts. None of that happened, did it? They had, what? You did what? And then you get the, the nicer response. Well, if that makes you happy, I'm glad you found something. Right? All the, you're all laughing because you know you've been there. You've heard these responses. You got the blank stare from some, the cold shoulder from others. The you did what? So most of you did not get a party when you came to Christ. Your boss didn't give you a raise. All these things didn't happen. Rarely does, does it? For the most part, in the United States. It doesn't mean you're going to be disowned. It doesn't mean that your family will now have threats on your life. But you inherit this new awkwardness that typically surfaces. It was never there before. It can happen anywhere. It can happen on the golf course. It can happen in the office. It can happen over the fence post with your neighbor. There's a new awkwardness because you have the living fire of the Holy Spirit in you, and they do not. And so you're not able to connect on the same thing. You don't even care the same thing. They come in the next day, and they want to tell you about some raunchy movie they watched, and they thought you still like that. 
And you have to tell them, oh, I don't like that. What? You gone mad? You and I both, we always love that. But you're now living for two different purposes. Jesus says there's going to be division, even among parents. We have some of you, some of you I know your, uh, your family situation. I know some of you have unsafe parents. Some of you have unsafe kids. Some of you have unsafe daughters-in-law, sons-in-law, in-laws. And you go to those family reunions, and you do your best to make it joyful. And they do their best to kind of accommodate and kind of, you know, and everybody kind of gets, gets through it. Remember when you first tried to share your faith with some of those same family and friends? It's the one thing just to tell them, I've given my life to Christ. But then you tried to present the gospel to them. And that was a whole other round in the ring, wasn't it? Maybe you tried even a couple of times. I tried it various ways. Sometimes I tried it with the wrong spirit. You're going to hell. I would tell some people, right? <laughs> that never seemed to go over real well. Over time, I learned and had a little more wisdom, showed a little more love and compassion, realized that Jude chapter 1 wasn't for every situation. <laughs> My wife can verify that some of these things took place. I made a lot of enemies at first that didn't need to be that much of an enemy, but over time, then I would, but I still learned to, to even when I've shared the gospel in the most gentle and compassionate way, people still can get agitated and mad and resist it, and call you a bigot. You're like, I'm trying to keep you from going for eternity, and I'm the bigot? And Jesus is saying that there's nothing you'll ever be able to do to remedy this. It won't be remedied until I come and establish. All you can do is abide in me and trust in the Holy Spirit to help you to say the right thing, and to keep praying for those. Jesus in the same uh, book of Luke here has said to pray for your enemies. Pray for those that despitefully use you. Pray for those that resist you. But there's going to be this constant division. And you know, the world, the, Christ, the church today is trying so hard to be just like the world that the world will like them. It's never going to work. And if they like us, we won't actually give them the real gospel. So what have we really gained? We've gained their friendship, but they still would die and spend an eternity in hell. We have to have the true gospel, and Jesus says it's going to divide. It's going to cause some unpeaceful situations at times. Not always. I mean, there's those times that the Lord just blesses. And I, you know, I, I told um, some of the folks here, I have a lunch coming up with a former coworker of mine in July. He's an atheist. I'm a believer, and we're going to have lunch together. We actually like each other. And I've shared things about the truth, but what the Lord does or doesn't do in certain situations, you just have to trust the Holy Spirit, because sometimes you'll get an open door, and other times you'll get a door slammed in your face. But there'll be that division, there'll be that friction that'll be there. For our brothers and sisters around the world, it's a lot harder. Some of their families declare war on them. A they're immediately cut off. No inheritance, no family name. You're not invited to the family reunion. Forget awkwardness. You don't come or you'll be dead. Some of them are killed for the faith. If fathers have killed their very own daughters in some of these countries. Why? 
Well, 2 Corinthians 6, 24 says, What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? Jesus is always the plumb line that divides people. You mention the name of Jesus in a crowd, and you mention it in a godly way, you'll get a pin drop. You mention it as a curse word, everybody just moves on as business as usual, right? But you mention it real and powerful, it divides now let me ask you, is it worth it to be accepted by Christ but rejected by men? Is it worth it? We have to ask ourselves this. I mean, really ask ourselves this, because how do we really live? Is it worth it to be accepted by Christ but rejected by men? Will it be worth it for all eternity compared to the short vapor of this life? Paul said the sufferings of this lifetime are not to be compared to the future glory. Why do we constantly compare them then? We all do. Everyone here is guilty of that. Paul says it's not worthy to be comparing. It's an unworthy comparison. The acceptance of God dwarfs the rejection of men. And this is how the saints of old were able to get burned at the stake and do everything else and really just kind of look fear in the eye and say, I'm not afraid. Because they receive the acceptance of God. William Carey said, all my friends are but one, but he is all sufficient. The acceptance of God is far greater than the acceptance of every single person, the adulation of every person. 400,000 Twitter followers or whatever, Instagram or whatever, all of those things won't matter, will they? What about this worldly discernment? Jesus says in verse 54, then he said to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately, he's like, you just know. You've been living long enough to understand how storms work. You see dark clouds rising in the west, and you immediately say, a shower is coming, and so it is. When you see the south wind blow, you say, there'll be hot weather, and you're right again. Everything better success than our weathermen, right? Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and the earth, but how is it you do not discern the face of time? By the way, remember that Jesus is allowed to speak to people differently than we can because he is the Son of God, and he can speak very forthrightly because he's already shown them so much compassion, and they've still resisted that now he gets down to the essence of the fact that your hearts are still hard. Worldly discernment is no discernment at all, if you're taking notes. When Jesus was born, there were some wise people, Anna, Simeon, remember the wise men that came from the east? And they saw and they understood the prophetic scriptures, and they recognized the accompanying signs, and they recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, Emmanuel. And as he went through his life, many more would come to see that indeed Jesus was the Messiah. And then he matched to perfection the scriptures of Isaiah and Jeremiah and the Pentateuch uh, and all the all Old Testament passages that the prophets had said. Jesus matched them to the letter. And not only that, he had the power of God, the signs of the miracles. No one had ever done the things he had done. That's why Nicodemus said, no man can do what you do unless he came from God. Came in the middle of the night, embarrassed to be seen. But he knew that Jesus, he said, I know you're the real deal. 
And all those things validated that the time of redemption had come in their time. In the time of the Roman Empire, right there, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago, it was their time for redemption. But Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I longed to gather you, but you were not what? Willing. They couldn't discern that the Messiah was in their presence. And yet, all the evidence was there, and the refusal was normal. Everywhere he went, many would refuse uh, to believe that the time of their redemption was there, especially the religious leaders. They of all ones should have understood the Scriptures the most, so much so they should have been pointing people to Jesus, right? It should have been priests and rabbis saying, you've got to come meet the Messiah. Instead, they said, don't go near the Messiah. The very one that was in their time that could save them, they said, no, no, no. That time is not now. The Messiah is coming later. Do you know many unbelieving uh, Jewish people still are looking for Messiah? He already came. He's coming again. But Jesus, he rebukes the people here for not understanding the time, even though the time was crystal clear. In fact, they had his very physical presence. Can you imagine? And not only was the time, they had the physical presence of Jesus in that time. And yet, many were not convinced. Now we are in the time, 2015, a little over 2,000 years later, we're in the time waiting for his second coming. And the rebuke still stands, doesn't it? The rebuke then still stands today. The generation... We don't know which generation it will be, but there will be a generation that will be present when he comes in the clouds. We may be that generation. I'm not, I don't know. I know that many things are in place. Jesus made a very similar reference to nature. Remember, he speaks here of the, the, the summer hot weather coming and the, the shower coming. He, he makes a similar uh, reference to nature and weather in his Olivet Discourse. Remember, he speaks on the Mount of Olives just days before he goes to the cross. And what did he speak on there in the Olivet Discourse? He spoke of the end times. He spoke of how it would be as it was in the days of Noah. It would be the same in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And he exhorted his followers to understand the signs pointing to his return. So back in Matthew 24, 32, it says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branches become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. When you see cherry blossoms start to bloom, you're pretty certain winter's over. Right? You know that they will not even stay pink after a while, right? Then they fall off and they become green leaves. And now you know that spring is ushering out and summer's coming in. And Jesus is saying, just as you can look at trees and the sky and you can look at all the things around, you can say, hmm, I'm pretty sure that the season's about to change. Jesus says, when I get close to returning on the world scene, you should be able to observe similar scenes. The rebuke that stood then was for his time, the first coming. The rebuke is now for our time, the second coming. People see a storm coming, and maybe when people see a real storm coming, they run outside and check the car windows. You ever done that? One of the spouses will say to the other, hey, did you close the windows? Invariably, somebody didn't. When you forget, you're pretty bummed out the next day because the car is pretty wet inside, isn't it? There's something you left out in the backyard. 
I love it when it's shoes. That happens a lot at our house. How is there another pair of waterlogged shoes out here? This isn't where we leave them. But I digress. <laughs> we see a storm coming. We check these things. We put things away. Things that get blown into the neighbor's yard. We start, you know, put down the umbrella, whatever it is. We check these things. I hope most of you do. Because you see, oh, that, that could be pretty... Could be pretty heavy. Winds could blow pretty hard. In Richmond, there's a forecast of one inch of snow, and people go and buy three weeks of groceries. That's the way it works here. <laughs> if you're new to here, you'll see next winter. <laughs> one inch, I trust. And the schools are out for a week. So um, many people plan for retirement. They're pretty certain they're going to grow old someday. They want financial security. People buy health insurance, they buy home warranties. They, uh, get other forms of coverage for things that could go wrong. People make preparations. They take action on so many things. Granted, some of them are important, and many of those are good things and good reasons to take action. I'm not disagreeing with those. But concerning the limited time we have for spiritual decision and what is going to matter for all eternity, what's most important, a thing that every person has to discern and decide upon, no rush at all. No rush. No action. No need to investigate it even. I'll look into that someday. No urgency. No priority whatsoever. Jesus dealt with it personally. In the presence of multitudes. He's like, how can you not discern the time you're in? Market research firm Slice estimated that the sales on April 24th, the launch day of iWatch, in the United States, roughly under a billion. The entire stock of the $20,000 gold Apple Watch edition, if you're looking to have a, a really nice watch, $20,000 gold Apple iWatch was sold out in less than 60 minutes in China. According to The Verge, pre-orders of the Apple iWatch have crossed already 2.3 million units. You already have to have an iPhone to use the iWatch because you have to actually, you can't use one without the other. The irony is that while thousands are dying around the world, people are losing their lives, being beheaded, people are dying of starvation in parts of the world, no care, no concern. After last Sunday's picnic at Maymont, uh, we were leaving, and some of the, I, I wasn't there, but uh, a couple of the folks from our church came upon a guy had wrecked his motorcycle, and he was laying on the road. No one knew if he was dead or alive. So some of our men got out of their cars, stopped traffic, and began to help. You know, people were laying on the horn, get out of the way. They have no concept of actually what's important. No discernment of what God actually cares about. The International Business Times, this was a week ago, last weekend, early Sunday morning, Target launched its highly anticipated Lily Pulitzer collection online and in stores. And the collection, which focused on the deceased designer's laid-back, colorful, beachy style, sold out within hours. Users vented their frustration on social media sites like Twitter, especially when Target confirmed that the limited edition items would not be replenished. One woman tweeted, to the people who bought out all the Lily for Target stuff and put it on eBay, there's a special place in hell for you. 
I feel very sorry for her. She needs the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> Folks, it's not that important that you didn't get the $30 Lily Pulitzer handcuff. I didn't even know who this was. <laughs> but people had organized their weekend around being online as soon as it, boom. You talk about urgency. I will be there when the iWatch releases. I will be there when Target releases some designer I've never heard of. <laughs> See, this woman, and I hope she comes to Christ, she's deceived about what's important. For her and the world, they're equally deceived. They think these are the big things in life, and they're not the big things in life. And next year, there'll be another designer that's cooler. You know, but the world is ripe for even greater deception. You think the deception is heavy now? The world is ripe for a much greater deception. All the pieces are in place. Jesus said the first time you didn't understand the time, and the second time, I hope that we understand the times. Israel's in place. Iran's in place. Russia's in place. China's in place. There's a move to a cashless economy already in place. There's a move to a one-world currency already in place. There's the global rejection of God's design for marriage already in place. And boy, don't you bear speak out about that one. There's wars. There's rumors of wars. There's earthquakes in various places. There's famines. There's the rise of anti-Semitism all over the earth, especially in Europe. There's the persecution of Christians, unprecedented happening in every corner of the world. There's terrorism. There's a nuclear buildup. Matter of fact, if Iran gets it, all the other Middle Eastern countries say they want the nuclear weapons. See, the world is careening to, and you know what they were going to want? They're going to want one really smart, sophisticated guy who has all the answers. The world already had the man who had all the answers, and they said, you're not the one. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, most of the world rejected him, but a few received him. When the false Messiah comes, most will receive him, and a few will reject him. Isn't it interesting? Jesus said, broad is the road to destruction. Many there be that go that way, and narrow is the way to eternal life, and few there be that find it, receive it. We have all the evidence, folks, don't we? The signs are in place. Everything is speaking to the coming of Christ is very soon. And even if it's not in our lifetime, I don't think it's much after. But it doesn't matter for me because I'm 46 and I don't have more than 46 more years, period. I wouldn't think. Unless I'm as tough as shoe leather like my grandmother who's 96 now, but they don't make them that way anymore, at least not uh, for us men. <laughs> We, live, we're, we, we go earlier, guys, just to let you know. That wasn't in my notes or anything. <laughs> Extra bonus material. But we're in the time that Jesus said, if you could discern then, can you discern now? Can you? Do you see these things happening? Do they make you really think that Gabriel is getting the trumpet ready for the Lord? To make you understand that really all these things are not coincidental when the Lord shakes Mount Everest, not coincident, when the Lord uh, allows you to see that Israel is being surrounded by the nations with every country in the world coming against Israel. 
when you see that China and the kings of the east are building up mighty army, just all kinds of cash. All these things are coming together. And Jesus is saying, if you can determine the weather, which is not near as accurate, right? My stuff, he says, is accurate. Isn't that great? We're down in South Florida. We got another one. This happened to me twice in Florida. I've gotten burned twice by it. Zero percent chance of rain. Guess what we got the next day? Four hours of rain. In sunny Miami, zero percent chance of rain, four hours of rain. Happened to us in Orlando three or four years ago. But Jesus says, these things will take place. Amen? Last, these last couple of verses under critical decision if you're taking notes. And Jesus says, yes, why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right? How can you not come to a right judgment? How can you not come to a right judgment? Who would choose hell over heaven? That seems like just, it, it doesn't seem to make any sense, but for the first 25 years of my life, I was choosing hell over heaven. How about you? Some of you came to Christ. It took a while before the Lord to get through to you and say, what are you doing? Why would you not make peace with the Lord? Remember, peace on earth comes later, but peace in our hearts is available today. Each individual has a critical decision. Jesus says, when you go with your adversary, he's saying, here's the picture. If you are in a situation where someone else has far greater leverage over you, you would be wise to make amends with that magistrate. In other words, the magistrate far supersedes you in authority, position, and power, and at some point, you should humble yourself and say, you know what? I was wrong. I'll pay the fine of 25 bucks. But if you want to resist and, and battle, then you might get thrown into jail. And he's saying, there is authority high above you that you would be wise to submit and surrender to. Each, indecision, each individual has a critical decision to make. When we look at the facts, facts from God, we, look at, we hear the scriptures, we look around us at creation, which Paul said in Romans 1, is because of creation alone, no one has an excuse. When we listen to the voice of God bringing the conviction of sin, and all men have been convicted of sin at some point in their life, what do we do? We can either close the door on it, or we can say, Lord, speak. But when we look at all of these things that the Lord brings us to the valley of decision, it's really a simple answer, and yet each person has to choose. God won't make the choice for you or for me. We have to choose life or we have to choose death. And as Jesus was speaking to Israel, he wanted them all to choose life, and yet some still would not. Luke 12, 5, same chapter, remember back, fifth verse. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him whom after he is killed has the power to cast into hell. And yes, I say, fear him. The Lord has the power to cast a soul into hell. No one else has that power. And that's why God is the immovable force and the irresistible object to which we must surrender. Amen? Philippians 2.10 tells us, At the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on the earth, and those under the earth. Everyone's going to bow before Jesus. Isn't it so much better to bow now? I'm so, now is a beautiful thing, isn't it? When I bow before the Lord in prayer in the morning, I'm not trembling of 
Hell, I'm bowing in worship. How about you? Bowing before the Lord now is wise. Bowing later will be mandatory. Now is the only wise solution. Back when I worked at Microsoft, I travel out to Seattle a couple times a year. And when I'd go out to Seattle for meetings, um, I'd rent a car and I'd park the car. Never did I park in Bill Gates' parking space. He has one. So did our CEO, Steve Ballmer at the time. Now it's Satya Nadella. But at the time, I wasn't dumb enough to park in the founder's parking space. Now, you could do that and maybe even someone, our security, because we had security all over the campus, which might say, hey, hey, you probably don't know this, but you're not allowed to park there. Oh, okay. But what if I was really, really, really not wise, and I said something like this? Well, who does he think he is? He's just a person like me. I'm going to park there anyway, and I'm going to keep doing it until someone stops me. You know, eventually, I would get stopped with a pink slip that you won't be coming here anymore, period founded the company. He had the authority. He had the position. I could say all I want. Well, I don't like that. And I think I deserve the parking space because I'm a human being too. And he's not more important than me. But you know what? Jesus didn't found a company. He founded the world. And we are not employees. He is our creator. All the decision-making and what must be done comes from the Lord. He says, this is what must be done. You must repent, you must bow the knee, and you must receive the grace that only comes through the blood of Jesus. You can't say, well, I don't like that. I'm going to do it anyway, my way. Remember Frank Sinatra's song? You can do it your way, but Jesus says you could be thrown into, and he uses the term prison, but really it's an eternal prison of hell. We'd have no one to blame but ourselves if we didn't choose the wise decision of surrender. Amen? Isn't it interesting that Jesus surrendered himself to the will of the Father, but mankind refuses to surrender to the Father? Jesus, who's equal to the Father, surrendered to the Father, but man who's not won't surrender to the Father. Ah, but if we do, and many of you have, perhaps all of you, what a blessing if we do surrender to the Lord. Amen? We don't, we're, we, we don't have a slave relationship to Jesus. We have a son and daughter relationship to Jesus. We have an inheritance relationship with Jesus. Uh, when I was at Microsoft, I didn't have an inheritance relationship. <laughs> and neither do you at wherever you work. You'll find out if there's ever layoffs that you didn't have an inheritance relationship, Right? But Jesus is never going to lay off his sons and daughters. Amen? We have an inheritance relationship. We get peace today. Not peace of the world, but peace in our hearts. I'll close with this verse from Deuteronomy 33, 27. See, the Lord, for those of us who have made that wise decision, the only option, Deuteronomy 33, 27 says, The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Isn't that great? When you make the right choice and you made the right option, we get the everlasting arms of God underneath of us. And we get the peace that surpasses all understanding. When we see the crazy things in this world, we can know that he still has us safely in hand. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again this morning.
for making the truth so plain in your word. And Lord, for giving us your word. You came and that the word was made manifest and dwelt among us. We read now and understand the truths of your word. But Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that's never bowed the knee, never humbled themselves and asked for your forgiveness, never called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, never asked you to cleanse them by the blood of Jesus, before we close in worship, Lord, I pray that you would cause them to rise to their feet and receive the free gift of salvation. For you're not willing that any should perish, as you said in Ezekiel, you take no pleasure in the death of the one who dies. But Lord, you desire to save to the uttermost. And we thank you, Lord, that your way is beautiful, your burden is light, and we really can find rest in you. Before we close, if there's anyone here at all, you don't know the Lord is your Savior. You wouldn't be ready if Jesus were to come back. You wouldn't be ready if, uh, if you were in an automobile accident. We talked about cars and auto manufacturers. What they know will happen. All these things are possible. Most of the people in Nepal, I would say hardly any of them were thinking earthquake. Matter of fact, the before and after pictures show that they weren't. And yet we don't know what tomorrow holds. If there's anyone here at all that says, I'm not ready to, uh, to meet my creator, but I want to be. Just stand right where you're at. We'll pray a prayer of salvation with you. Anyone at all. Be the wisest decision you've ever made. You could make a mistake on your life insurance plan. You can make a mistake on your car insurance, you can make a mistake on all kinds of things, but this is one area that no one wants to make a mistake. You'll never go wrong saying yes to Jesus. Just stand right where you're at. If you're here today and you're visiting, or for us Christians, what does the Lord want us to do? Well, we're not reserved for fire, but we're given the fire of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What does the Lord want us to do? He wants us to take that fire of truth and light it, as Pastor Greg said. We need to be setting the world on fire with the gospel. Amen.